0: All right, so if you're wondering about uh, while we're at Psalm 90, so we just came out of studying some things about the church, specifically about church leadership, uh, deacons and elders and things along those lines. And here in the near future, we're looking to, to head, God willing, into Genesis together. Okay, So we're going to start walking Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning, and we'll start walking through that together. But between now and that time, we're going to spend some time in the psalm. So today we're at Psalm 90, so if you're not there, you can go ahead and flip there in your Bible, Psalm 90, Psalm 90, uh, we're going to need God's help to look at this, Psalm 90 speaks about the eternality of God, so it exalts God and who He is, Psalm 90 shows us our own brevity of life, our shortness of life. Psalm 90 shows us the frailty of man, the greatness of God, and the truth Truth be told, we need to go to God in prayer right now. Otherwise, these will just be cold, dead facts that we see and we understand, but we won't feel it in the depth of our souls. We won't get it. We, it won't really grip us unless God moves. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build. So let's take some time to pray, and we'll dive into Psalm 90. Pray with me. Father, thank you that we could come to your word, that we can open up at Psalm 90, your words. And Lord, we know that you're great. We've heard it again and again, Lord, from your word. We've we've felt it in our souls, God, that you are great and greatly to be praised. And God, we realize how small we are and how frail our lives are. But God, we don't realize it to to the degree that we want to, so please help us today. By Your Spirit, God, let me preach Your Word in the ability that You supply. And I pray, God, for every person here that You would open spiritual eyes, that You would open spiritual ears to hear this truth, God. Let it get past just superficial or, or past just the intellect, God, into the heart, God, deep in us, God, that we would feel the weight of these things. We need your help for that, God, and we just confess that we need your help. And I praise you, God. I praise you, I praise you that you are so willing. You've shown it in your word. You are so willing to help. You said, God, that if you didn't spare your own son but delivered him up for us all, how will you not also in Christ freely give us all things? And so I ask for that, God, that you would give us this today. You would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your law. Help us, Lord, please. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 90. So we're going to read it together. Hear the Word of God, Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever You had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger And by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we've seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90. So it says at the beginning of this psalm that this is a psalm. It says a psalm of Moses, the man of God. This makes this one of the oldest psalms. Psalm of Moses, the man of God written by a man who had many powerful experiences with God, right? So we should listen up, written by Moses. Not to mention these are God-breathed words, written by God Himself. Therefore, we should listen up to Psalm 90. What we're going to see here in Psalm 90, is it said it's a prayer. And you notice, it's a prayer of Moses. You notice that in the language that's used, directly to God, personal pronouns, personal petitions to God. You, O oh Lord, are from everlasting to everlasting. It's a prayer to God. We see Moses crying out in worship, in petition, in desperation. This psalm has a mark of of sadness to it because it's talking about the brevity of life. The reality has has a mark of realism as we see the sadness in this psalm. And yet we see a glimmer of hope that I want nobody here to miss. The psalm of Moses, the man of God. In verses 1 and 2, as you see on your study guide there, verses 1 and 2, we're going to see the eternality of God. God is the eternal God. I want you to read, we're going to read verse 1 and 2 again. I want you to think about the eternality of God. Listen, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. He's the eternal God. That verse just said, our dwelling place when? In all generations. I want to highlight that word in verse 1. In all generations. This is all time. From the first generation to the last. From the beginning of time to the end of time. You are God in all generations. The God of all ages. And in every age you have those who turn to Him. And He's their dwelling place. As it says in verse one, and in every age, you have those who reject him and say, let us cast their bonds off of us. And they're apart from him for all of eternity. In every generation, there's those who run to him for refuge and their home is not this world, but you are our dwelling place. O God. And there's a remnant like this out of every generation. According to verse one. Now, I believe the main point of that verse 1 right there is that phrase. In all generations. We're trying to see the vastness of God. This is who God is. Every single generation. From Adam to Moses, right in the psalm. From Moses to us. He is God in every single generation. Our God is God. He's the rock of ages. In fact, He's the rock of all ages. This phrase, in all In all generations, in verse 1, it places God in every single moment of what we call time. He's a God of all generations, from the beginning of time to the end of time. So in what we call time, He is God in all of time. But what I want you to see is, what about before time? That's a biblical concept, right? Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Eternal life, which God... Promised before time began. That's a biblical concept. Before time began. So what about before time? And that's what you see as you move in to verse 2. Moses is going to zoom out. He said, he's the God in all generations and all time. And now he zooms out and he gives you a picture of something that happened before time. 90 verse 2. Before time. The mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have had created the earth and the world. So he says, Look at the mountains. They're steady. They're rock steady. There they are. But something went down before the mountains were formed. God was God. He says, Look at the earth. Look at the earth. It's hanging there in space. It's our place in the universe. Look at the earth established in its place. And he says, but before it existed, God is God. Before time began. And even more than that, he says, look at the whole world. The mountains, the earth, and then the whole world. The whole universe is so vast that our minds cannot comprehend how big this is. And he says, before it even existed, I am God. Before time began. In fact, all of these things mentioned in verse 2, mountains, the earth, the and the whole universe are little things to God, just new things. I want you to notice the language that Moses uses. He uses language of giving birth. Giving birth. Look at it again. Before the mountains were brought forth, that's literally born. Before the mountains were born, some of your verses say born. It says, or ever you had formed. That's literally gave birth to before he ever gave birth to the earth and the world. So the mountains and the earth and the massive universe that we cannot comprehend is just like little infants to God. Just like little babies to God, and He's the grown up. He's before time began. So so far, the Psalm verse 1 and 2, we're seeing the eternality of God. You've got He is God in all generations, all time. And by the way, before that, before the mountains were even formed, before the universe was even formed, God is God. And now what's going to happen next is going to blow your mind. Let's take it farther. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The eternal God. So think about pondering the eternality of God. Think about just sitting around pondering the eternality of God. It will cook your brain. It's hard to understand. Human reason can't get it, okay? We ask silly questions like this. Uh, What time in eternity did God create time? As if there was time beforehand. As if God is subject to time before He actually created time. There's no such thing. He's outside of time. He is the eternal God. You think about it. He exists outside of time. We, We exist in this time right now. In this present time. We are present in this moment of time. And yet God is eternal. His all time is wrapped up in the eternal God. And He is present in past, present, future, all simultaneously. How does He do it? He's the eternal God. Eternity is a hard concept to grasp, especially for us. Most people only think of eternity as as far as you can go into the past, keep going, keep going, keep going. It never has a beginning. And they think, keep going into the future, keep going. It never has an end. It is forever. forever. And that's all they think about when they think about eternity or the eternal God. But the Bible says in Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, our God inhabits eternity. He inhabits eternity. He lives in eternity, before time began, and after time ends, He is God and He exists simultaneously. I want you to get what I'm saying. Think about Isaiah 46.10. God declares the end from the beginning. How does He do that? How does God declare the end from the beginning? He sees the end and the beginning with the same vividness. He sees it. The same clarity sees the end and the beginning. I want you to think about it. You take yourself and you see right now you're looking at me or you're looking at each other in some way and you see this is present reality. It's clear to you. It's vivid to you right now. And the further you go back in time, and the further you go back in time, it gets fuzzy and fuzzy and fuzzy. And you try to go to the future and it's not just fuzzy. You have no idea. You can only make predictions. And yet you think about God. Nothing is fuzzy. The clarity and the vividness with which he sees right now is the same he sees a thousand years ago and a million years into the future. Our God is eternal. He's the eternal God. I want you to think about it like this. Think about all generations. That's all time, beginning of time to the end of time. Think of it like a parade. Think about it like a parade. There's two ways to watch a parade. Number one, you can be down by the street. And you're watching as each piece of the parade goes by in succession. You remember what was down there, what's already gone by, and you're not sure about what's coming, but you see it as it comes. In succession, you watch that parade. Second way, you can watch a parade. You can sit up on a high tower. And on this high tower, you see the whole parade at one time, at the same time, simultaneously. You see it, and you see it moving. And here's why I say that. We see time. We're talking about the eternality of God. We see time like the man standing by the street corner watching as the parade goes by. We see it unfold in succession, piece after piece after piece. This is how we see life, right? This is how we see our own life. I was a boy and I was a teenager and I was a man. This is the way we see all of history, the creation of the world, the fall of man, the Israelites. We see it in succession as it goes by, as we understand it. But God sees all of time, all of time, beginning of time to the end of time, like the one seated on a high tower that sees it all just as vividly at the same time. Our God is the eternal God. During Moses' time, he sees your time just as vividly. During your time, he sees a million years in the future just as vividly. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Shouldn't we come humbly, humbly before this God? Shouldn't we be filled with hearts of worship and praise for this kind of God who from everlasting to everlasting, He is who He is? He has no beginning. He has no end. He was, He is, He is to come. He's the Almighty from everlasting to everlasting. He's God. Now, the eternality of God in verse 1 and 2 is put before us like a backdrop. It's like a backdrop for us to see our own brevity of life, our own shortness. You know the word brevity, like brief, the briefness of our life. The shortness of our life, okay? So I want you to see that. We're going to go to verse 3 through 6. Read it with me. What we're going to see here, I want you to look for it. Starting in verse 3, look for this. Look for the frailty of man. Or, or look for the death of man, the certain death of man, and the brevity of his life. Verse 3 through 6. You turn man to destruction. Some of you have heard it say dust. You turn man to dust. And you say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They're like a sleep. In the morning, they're like grass which grows up. In the morning, it, flourish, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. So here's what you have. God is eternal and man dies after a short life. From everlasting to everlasting, He is God. But man is like grass. Grows up in the morning, cut down in the evening. This is what you see in this passage. Verse 3 says, you turn man to destruction. You turn man. Everlasting, everlasting, you are God, but you turn man to destruction. The ESV says you return man to dust. That's because it's literally like God is the potter who forms the clay. And at His, at his time that He has laid out, He crushes it back into the powder from which it came. According to Psalm 90, verse 3, he does this with these simple words. Return, O children of men. A word goes out and man returns to dust in a moment. Return, O children of man. Just like that, their life is taken away and they return to the dust. Now, the language that Moses is using here is meant to drive our mind back to the first book that he wrote. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. I want you to just listen to it with me. Adam's being confronted by God for his sin. Adam's being confronted by God right now for his sin. And this is what he says. God says in Genesis 3.19, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return. You hear that in Psalm 93? Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So here we have this reference in Psalm 90 verse 3 to the death of man because of the sinfulness of Adam. To the death of man because of the sinfulness of Adam, a result of man's sin is that he will die. And we're about to find out he will die after a short lifespan. But here's the thing, okay? What are we supposed to walk away with personally when we see this? What are we supposed to be walking away with when we hear verse 3? You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of Israel. You're supposed to hear this. You are going to die. You will die. You fit under the category of man and you will die. You're of mankind, therefore you will most definitely die. God is eternal. No beginning. No end. And yet man has an end. You turn man to dust. Return, O children of man. You cannot ignore this. You will die. You're going to die. Let your mind go there. You will die someday. And most people... Try to delay thinking about their own death. And I'm here to tell you that it's foolish. It's a foolish thing to do. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 6. This is the exhortation. Listen, remember your creator before. Before what? Remember your creator before what? And you have these analogies of death that go forward. Listen, before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the the wheel broken at the well, then dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Don't miss this simple reality. God is eternal. And God fills all of eternity. But men will die. Your life is temporary. God knows the exact moment. And those words are going to come out of His mouth. Return, O children of man. And life is over in a moment. So it's clear, all mankind will face death. And then this passage goes on to explain that the life that you have until that death is very, very short. Some people call it the brevity of life. It's very short. Moses feels the reality of the shortness of his life and he wants you to feel the reality of the shortness of his life. And beginning in verse 4, we're going to again see this contrast of the everlasting God who has no end. And man. Mankind who has an end. Who will die. Look at it. Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's passed. Like a watch in the night. It's a saying God is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting. And therefore a thousand years to Him is like what? It's like yesterday. It's like a watch in the night. Just a little three hour period in the night. A thousand years like yesterday. Like a watch in In the night, just like that. How long is a thousand years to you? Anybody here know what happened in the year 1015? Probably not. How big is a thousand years to you? And yet to God, was it like, it's just like three hours? 115 happened, 1015 happened three hours ago, just like a watch in the night. Christ Jesus was crucified for your sins 2,000 years ago. Or you mean like six hours ago? Just like six hours ago that went down? A thousand years in the sight of God. It's just like a watch in the night. It's just like yesterday when it's come. What's getting put before you is the eternality of God. God is eternal. Do you see it? And then you're going to turn the corner in verse 5 and 6. And we're going to see, compared to the eternality of God... Look at the brevity of life you have before you. Look at how short your life is. It says in verse 5, You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. Some of you verses say like a dream. You carry them away like a flood and they're like a sleep. Their lives are just like a, carried away in a flood and like a dream almost. God is eternal, but you're just carried away like a flood. You're there one moment and then the rushing river comes by and takes you under, and it's it. You don't know when. It's like a sleep. Even when you have a good sleep at night, a good long sleep, it's like you close your eyes and in a moment, you're back up and the sun is up. And this is what your life's like. It's here today, then gone. In a moment. It's very, very short. Or like a dream. Like a dream. You have a dream and you wake up and it's gone. The dream went so fast. It just happened like a snap. That's it. And this is what your life As compared to. Or, it's like grass, it says there in verse 5. It's like grass. Your life is like grass. In the morning, they are like grass, which grows up. You say, well, what do you mean it's like grass? What do you mean? Look at verse 6. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. That's in the morning. And in the evening, it's cut down and withers. Here's the grass. It's all grown up. And it thinks it's strong. And it thinks it'll just be, keep growing forever and ever. It'll just keep growing, and the owner of the grass has his time to cut it down, and he mows it down in a moment, and it's gone. Your life is like grass. In the morning is here, and then what happens in the evening? What happens in the evening? In the morning is here, and in the evening it is gone. Do you hear it? Do you think of your life this way? Your life is like grass. Here in the morning. Gone in the evening. You have got to understand what these verses say. You will. Let your mind go there. You will die. You think about it often? You will die. You don't have long. You may feel like you have a lot of time left, but you don't. Your feelings are deceiving you. Like a watch in the night is gone. You don't have that much time. Do you feel the weight of that? That your life is fleeting? That it's as frail as grass? This truth is found all over the Bible. And I want to just very quickly mention some verses. All over the Bible. James 4.14 says, What is your life? It actually asks you the question, What is your life? And it says, Your life's like a vapor. appears for a short time. It vanishes away. Your life is like a mist. It's here one moment, gone the next. You just see it for a second, then it's gone. That's what your life is like, according to James chapter 4. Mark my word. Mark my word. There are people here in this room, who have this feeling that your life is not ending like that. That your life is not quick. You don't feel that way. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like I'm okay? My life's not going by all that fast. Listen, you're deceived. And mark my word, it's going to come up on you suddenly. And in that moment, when it comes on you suddenly, you're going to say, I wish I would have heeded the words of Psalm 90 when they said, it's like a grass. I wish I would have heeded those words. Job 7.7 7 says this. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. You're born. And it's like inhaling air into your lungs. And then in a moment, you exhale that air and you die. It's like a breath. It's gone. Psalm thirty nine four and 5. Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Help me know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breasts. That's just the width of your hand. That's all you got right there. My days are as hand breasts. And my age is as nothing before you. He says it's like nothing. It's just nothing. It's just gone. Certainly every man at his best state is vapor. Vapor. It's gone. Do you see the brevity of life? You can even, I'm getting ahead of myself a little here, but you can even go a little bit further in the Psalm 90 where we're at and you see these same things. Look at Psalm 90 verse 9. The second part up there says, we finish our years like a what? Like a sigh. <sighs> it's gone. Just like a sigh. Verse 10. The, the day, He's trying to get you to see this. Listen to it. Don't miss this. People of God, listen, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 70 or 80 years. These are averages. Just 70 or 80 years, that's all you got. And it's cut off and you fly away. Just 70 or 80 years. I was just talking to Miss Joyce this week. Had a birthday party, 77 years old. That's exactly what she said. She said, where'd all the years go? Where'd they go? And this is what everybody says that comes up to the last years of their life. They always say this. Do you really believe that you're going to be the one person, the one person that lands at your last days and you're going to say, you know, this took a long time. You're not going to be that person. You're going to say, man, they flew by like a sleep. They flew by like a dream. My days are gone. Where did they go? Where did the years go? And you'll say it just like Miss Joyce. 70, 80 years. 70 or 80 years. Just think about it. Just think about that for a minute. If you're here, we have different ages here. If you're 20 years old here, you have used up over a fourth of that time if you're strong. If you're in your 30s, you've already knocked off a third of it. It's gone. There's your life. If you're you're in your 40s, over half your life gone in a blink, just like that. If you're in your 40s, do you really believe that the last years of your life are going to slow down? They're not going to slow down. You're going to be like grass and you're going to say, man, it was like just, just this morning. I was growing and flourishing, and now it's evening time, and it's down. 70, 80 years. Think about it. And let me say this, even those remaining years that you may think you have, you know that even those are uncertain, right? You know those are uncertain, right? You know that. Our, our brother Paul Perry, just about a year ago now, walks out of Grace Community Church, drops dead in the parking lot, Gone. 55 years old. Or some of you know Sean Golly. Brother that attended Grace a lot. I saw him every single week. 19 years old. Headed home. Gone. Just like that. Even those years are uncertain. We don't know what we have. We don't know when our time will be up. But here's what we know for sure. You do not have long. We know that from God's word. You do not have long. The point is this. Here's the point. God wants us to see in Psalm 90 that we will certainly die. Every single one of us will die. And from this moment till our death, we do not have very long. The brevity of life, the frailty of life, the uncertainty of life. You, you need to see this. And one more thing about this. Let the backdrop of eternity, just let the backdrop of eternity help you understand how brief your life is for a moment, okay? When I think of Psalm 90, this is the imagery I think of because because I because of these words here. I want you to think about an eternal line. Here's this line. And it's just infinite. It goes that way through that wall and it just keeps going into outer space and it never ever ends. And it goes that way through that wall and it keeps going. This line and it never never ends. And we'll call it the eternal line. And you got this little dot on it. It's called millennium. It means a thousand years. Thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. This eternal line that we'll call. And this little thousand year dot right there. Where are you? You're like a pinhead. Just a little pinhead right there. Just like a little dot. Like a little speck on that thousand year dot. And that's all you have. A sliver compared to eternity is your life. Or to use C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said it was like a imagine a paper, a piece of a sheet of paper that goes on infinitely and never ends. Just this sheet of paper, and you take the beginning of time when God created it, you mark a little dot, you do a little dash, and you mark another one. That's the end of time. Where are you at on that line compared to all of eternity? Your life's a vapor. A sliver of time is fading quickly, and the everlasting God says, Will you waste it? So we have Psalm 190. Will you waste it? Now the next section, verse seven through eleven. Here's what we're going to see. We're going to go to verse seven through eleven. We're going to see the reason for man's certain death and, and the brevity of their life. Why? Why are men certainly going to die, and why, why are their lives so short? Why? And verses seven through eleven is going to help us to see the reason. The reason for that. Okay. So. What is the reason that men will die and live such brief lives? And I want to read this whole, pa- this whole part, 7 through 11. But I want to just kind of stop at different little points of these words. I want to, I want to highlight some things, okay? Highlight some words. Starting in verse 7. Four. Four. That's, that's the connector word that taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, I'm about to tell you the reason that you have a brief life and you will certainly die. I'm about to tell you the reason. Four. For we have been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath, we are terrified. The wrath of God, the anger of God. This is the reason for death and the shortness of life. The ESV says it like this. We are brought to an end by your anger. By the anger of God. Why is God angry? Why does God have wrath toward human beings? Why? Next part. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your countenance. So why does God have death producing anger towards human? Why does God have shortness of life producing wrath toward humans? Why? Why? Why does it say? Because of our sin. It says He sees our sin. They're put before His face. He knows our sin. It's right there in the light of His countenance. He's looking at our sin. And therefore He has wrath. Death producing wrath so imagine him looking at our sin and with justice he's burning with wrath toward our sin as he looks on and because of this we die next verse for all our days have passed away in your wrath we finish our years like a sigh again the sv says all our days pass away under your wrath our days our timeline under your wrath all the days of a sinner are lived under the wrath of God. John three thirty six, It says, but for those who do not obey the Son, they do not have eternal life, but the wrath of God abides on them. The abiding wrath of God. Death producing wrath of God. And keep going here. The days of our lives... 70 years and by reason of strength 80 years yet their boast is only laboring sorrow sorrow is where trouble and toil some of your versions say think of the horrific effects of sin that dwells within you and the wrath of God abiding over the head you imagine the effects death shortness of life sorrow and in the end that wrath is going to be unleashed full strength and it's eternal punishment in hell forever and ever and ever Next part. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Again, the ESV says, who considers the power of your anger? In other words, are you thinking about these things? Who thinks enough about these things? Who considers the power of his anger? Who does that? Who thinks about these things? You think about all the things in the world, all these temporal things in this life, but you, do you think about eternity? Who considers The power of his anger. Who does that? So, why do we die? Why do we die? Why do we have such short lifespans? Why is it that the only boast of our short lives is toil and trouble and sorrow? Why is that the only boast we have in these short lives? Because of our sin. God sees our sin. Because of our sinfulness, He sees our sin. It's before the light of His countenance. And because this God who is a good and just God will pour out wrath on sinners and the wrath of God abides over the head of all sinners. I want you to listen to a verse. You don't have to flip there. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. Listen to this verse and be filled with fear. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, they hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? This verse just put before you something in the future, where people from every status on this earth will stand before God. Their time has run out. Life over. The end of their lives came upon them unexpectedly and suddenly. They did not heed the warnings of Psalm 90. They ignored the unavoidable reality that they would one day die and that their death is going to come upon them with speed. They ignored it. They just frolicked through life. Ignoring eternity. Ignoring their death. Not thinking about it. I want to put it out of my mind. And and then what happened? Their end came. It's over. The great day of His wrath came upon them. And yet they were still in their sins. The great day of wrath came and they were still in their sins. And they're hiding themselves. And they're fleeing from the wrath of the Lamb. But it's too late. They should have fled from the wrath of God when John the Baptist told them to. And now here they are trying to flee, but it's futile. They ignored it, and now it's too late. It is too late for them. They've ignored it for too long. Life ended, and it's too late. They're face to face with the wrath of God, and it's about to swallow them up for all of eternity. Torment. Everlasting fire. No end in sight. No escape. The wrath of God. Burning in the lake of fire. And Psalm 90.11 says, Who considers the power of your anger? Who considers these things? Who thinks about these things enough? Most people just don't think about it. They're frivolous with their lives. They just go through life. Don't think about it. And it comes upon them suddenly. You must think about these things. Now, how do we respond to these things? We're going to see in the next section, verses 12 through 17. 12 through 17. That we are called to respond to these present realities, okay? How do we respond? How should we respond? I'm going to read verse 12. I want you to think about verse 12 through 17 as a response for you. I'm going to assume. I prayed that God would open some of our eyes here to the eternality of God, how glorious and great He is beyond our comprehension. And I prayed that God would take some people here. And, you, and this, this idea that you have a, a, a brief little life ahead of you, that you would see it, not just factually, but you would feel it in your bones. So I'm assuming that God's doing that. So how should you respond? Listen to verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on Your servants. Satisfy us early with Your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Verse 12 gives us a very clear response in the form of a prayer. What does he say in verse 12? So teach us to number our days. God, teach us to number our days. What does it mean to number our days? What does it mean to number number our days? Well, even if you don't know exactly what it means, here's what you know. You know that to number your days is wise, that you might gain a heart of wisdom. And to not number your days is foolish. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So what does it mean? What does number our days mean? What did the Psalms just say about your number of days? What did this psalm just present to you as your number of days? What did it say? It said the best case scenario is you got very few days left. It's the best case scenario. you got very few days left. And even those days are uncertain. Teach us to number our days. So, so, so what we're asking, when we say, God, teach us to number our days, we know the facts of it, right? We get it. We, we know the little lingo of, of our life is short, time's flying by. You've probably even said those things before. But when you say, God, teach me really to number my days. Help me to fill it in my bones that I don't have that much time so that I am compelled to react in accordance with His truth. Do you understand that? God, teaches us to number our days. I get it it's a short life, but let me get it deep in my soul. Let me fill it in my bones. Teach us to number our days until it grips us and we take action. So let me do this. As we think through, teach us to number our days. I want to speak first. I know I don't know everybody here, but I want to speak first just to the unconverted. You're here. You're not in Christ Jesus. You're unconverted. You're not in the Lord. You don't know Christ. You're not saved. I want to speak directly to you, okay? Listen to me. Your days are numbered. Hear it directly to you. Your days are numbered. You do not have many days left. You cannot ignore this. Death is your end. And at the end of death, what do you deserve? God's wrath that's been hanging over your head to be poured out full strength. Eternity in hell, it's over. It's too late. But here's what I want you to notice. When you read this psalm, Moses has a glimmer of hope in it. It's a glimmer of hope. Verse 1 He said you've been our dwelling place oh god and knowing what we know you think i don't want to dwell with god i want to be those guys that run he's the wrath of god fleeing from the wrath to come i don't want to be there why would moses say that why would he want to be the god to be his dwelling place why would he want that or if you look at the verses we just read god have compassion verse 13 mercy loving kindness Verse 14, how does Moses see this glimmer of hope? That there's love and kindness. That there's mercy to be had at God. Why would he want God? He says, return, O Lord. Why would you want that, Moses? Didn't you just hear about the wrath of God that's going to come down on all men? Didn't you hear that? What did Moses know? And what Moses knew, I want you to know. Moses knew something about a Christ, a Savior who would come. Hebrews chapter 11 In verse 26, it says that he knew something. Moses knew something about the reproaches of Christ, about Christ. And I'm here to tell you that that one that he knew something about that was coming, he has already come. If you're here and you're not in Christ, Christ Jesus has already come. The Savior has already come. And listen to me, he came into the world to save sinners like me and you who have brief little lives. He came on a rescue mission. God in the flesh. God became a man to save us. Look back at verse 8. Look at verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. But the Scripture teaches that Jesus took those sins unto Himself. Do you see that? Here's God. He's looking. And we just read in verse 7 and 8 that our sin is before him. He sees our sin and therefore wrath is coming. Wrath is coming. Wrath is coming. But Jesus takes our sin supernaturally at the cross and our sins are laid upon him. He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5. 21. Our sins on him and you imagine God the Father looking on with just wrath bubbling in him. And he sees the sin removed from us and the sin goes on to the Savior. And all that wrath you deserve pour out on him instead. Praise the living God. There's salvation. There's a glimmer of hope. So to the unconverted, I say this. I, I, in fact, I plead with you. I plead with you. Unconverted here who are just waiting. I'll get it done later. Satan would love for you to do that. He would love for you to feel like you got plenty of time to get right with God. You do not. How many people do you think in a moment have been taken, their breath been taken away, and it's too late? They thought I'll settle down later, but it's too late. How many times do you think that's happened? Again and again and again and again. Satan would love for you to hold off. But listen to me, I I don't encourage you, I plead with you. Flee from the wrath to come. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that keeps you from Jesus, drop it, turn away from it, and put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible is clear that all those who turn to Jesus in faith, they have everlasting life and the wrath of God has been absorbed for them and the sin that was on them has been taken away and they are free in Christ Jesus. Turn to Him. Now, to my brothers and sisters, already in Christ Jesus, you're already in Him. You, you already know Him. You've already fled from the wrath to come. Give heartfelt praises to God because this sin that I just read about that gives you this short little life and a certain death at the end and that the only boast of your life is sorrow and trouble and toil, the sin and the wrath that made that happen, take it away from you. Give heart pray, heartfelt praises to God. Grace Community Church, But here's something you need to know. The wrath is taken away. The sin is taken away. And your life is still brief upon the earth. Your life is still brief upon the earth. So you still must respond. You still have to respond to this this call. Listen. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You still have to cry out to God to do that for you. Help me to see I don't have that much time on this earth, God. Help me to see it. So so let's think about it for a minute. Just go with me. How does a Christian save from the wrath to come? How do you respond to an awakening to the brevity of life? I'm assuming that it's happening. That there's people here that are realizing that eternal line and that millennium dot and you're just like a little speck on it and you're realizing that you only have a sliver on this earth and you're thinking, man, I need to respond to that. I need to respond to that. And let's talk through how do you respond to it. First is this you have to realize that there has to be a response. First of all, just realize that there has to be a response. A sincere awakening of the fact that your days are short upon the earth before you die cannot leave you unaffected. A sincere awakening to this truth. Your, life, your days are, are short cannot leave you unaffected. Let me give you a picture of that. A man, somebody comes to a man and says, uh, you got 24 hours to live. And this man realizes he's only got 24 hours to live and his wife's crying and his children are upset about it too. And he's sitting there, I only got 24 hours to live. What do I do? And he says goodbye to mama and goodbye to his children. So I'm going to play a round of golf this morning. And tonight I'll be watching a movie. And you would think, you insensitive fool. Fool. Why? Because when you get the brevity of life, I've only got 24 hours to live, you don't do, you must respond. You don't do things like that. Or imagine going to a hotel room. You go to Texas somewhere, you go to a hotel room, you're there for three days. And you're there for three days, and day one, you get a brand new entertainment system, and you fill the room with it. You begin to paint that room. Day two, you start fixing all the shrubbery outside, you make it look real good out there. And day three, you start remodeling the bathroom. And somebody says, What are you doing? You're only going to be here three days. It's foolish, right? You would never do such a thing. The brevity of life, when you get a sincere awakening, there's a response. You must do something. You must respond to it. Or it's not a sincere awakening. You can't stay unaffected. Number two is this. An awakening of the brevity of life, okay? Through numbering your days. You're numbering your days and you're, you're awakened to the brevity of life it will cause you to clear your life of worldly ambitions and temporal goals. You'll begin to clear your life of worldly ambitions and temporal goals. Listen again to me, okay? I'm going to read Psalm 39, verse 4 and 5 again, only this time I'm going to read verse 6 too. I want you to listen. Listen. Lord, make me to know my end. See, he's asking for it. Give me a sincere awakening. I know it's going to end, but help me to know my end. Help me to get it. And what is the measure of my days? Why? That I might know how frail I am. God, I need to know how frail. I know I'm frail. But I need to get past facts. I need to really know deep in my heart how frail I am. Listen. Indeed, you, God, have made my days as hand breasts. In my ages there's nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best date is vapor. And here's that verse we didn't read. Listen. Listen. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they... Busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. When you have a sincere awakening to the bread of life, you begin to do what? You push out these temporary goals, these worldly ambitions. You begin to push them out of your life. Why? I don't have that long. Why would I spend it on these things called busying yourself in vain? Why would I heap up riches? I'm about to be gone in a moment. Why would I do such a thing? They busy themselves in vain. Busy, busy, busy. Feeling important. They feel so important. And flash, your life's taken from you in a moment. And what was all the busyness for? Was it that kind of busyness that's laboring to eternal life? Or is it that busyness that's just going to fade? Is it the food that perishes or the food for eternal life. They, they heap up riches. Riches. Money. 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 More stuff. More comforts. More worldliness. Don't you know that the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity to God. And the love of money is it's the root of all kinds of evil. I mentioned those verses. Nobody ever thinks they apply to them. But listen, they apply to somebody. They apply to somebody. Busy, busy, busy. Riches. Riches, riches, money, money, money. You got this man in Luke chapter 12 and he said, he said, oh, "I got plenty of time. I'll eat and I'll drink and I'll be merry. I'll take it easy upon this earth." And Jesus says to him that verse, "Fool! This night your soul is going to be required of you. Then whose will all those things be?" Jesus called him a fool. And we say, oh, Jesus, teach us to number our days that we might not be foolish, but we might gain a heart of wisdom. I'll say this quickly. It makes me think of Francis Chan. A lot of you know Francis Chan. Gave this analogy. He pulled out a big rope one time from way over there, and he had this rope. And he pulled it out. A lot of you have seen this. And he said, I want you to pretend like that rope way over there, this long, long rope, is eternity. It just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And there's this little piece of it that was red right there. So imagine a little red piece of rope and then the rest of it's white all the way down. And he said, and he was doing this partly to teach a lesson and partly also because people were saying that things he was doing was foolish. You're doing foolish things, Francis. I know the Bible says it, but you're doing foolish things, Francis Chan. And he said, look at this. You want to do all this stuff right here so you can be happy right there. Eternity. Who's foolish? You get that? That's the analogy I think of when I think of this. Thirdly is this. You must really and practically respond. Christians in the room. You must really and practically respond to this charge. Number your days. That means you must spend time meditating on these verses. And thinking about the brevity of your life. You have to spend time doing it. Survey your life. Think about what you do. Think about your actions. Think about where you spend your time. And say, does it line up with this truth that I have very few days upon the earth? Jonathan Edwards, uh, Jonathan Edwards did these things that are famous called resolutions. Okay. And I want you to see in Jonathan Edwards' resolution, he says, I resolve to do this. You know, he wrote these out. Uh, my understanding is he'd read them at least for a time every week to remind himself. And I want you to see an example of a man who has numbered his days. Listen to Jonathan Edwards. Resolution number five. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolution number six. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolution number seven. Resolved never to do anything that I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Number 17 resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. You think he numbered his days? Resolution number 19 resolved never to do anything that I should be afraid to do if I if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trumpet. Teach us the number of days. So I just say personally Brothers and sisters, Grace Community Church, my brothers and sisters whom I love, I long for this to hit you. I long for this to grip you, that you would get the brevity of life, that you don't have that much time, and that we would see it in our lives as it's lived out. The convictions of this life is short, lived out in this world as the, as the way that we take action. I long for that. And it grieves me, and I mean this sincerely, it grieves me to think, about you ending your life in an Ecclesiastes 2.11 type manner. I surveyed all my hands had done, all that I had toiled to achieve. Everything's meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing gained under the sun. It grieves me. But I long to see it hit you right. The last one's this number four. How does a Christian respond? to an awakening to the brevity of life. Number four is this, and I want to draw your attention to the final petitions there in Psalm 90, verse 13 through 17, and we're going to look at these very quickly, okay? These petitions give you an idea of what you should be going after, and I'm going to put them into four categories, okay? Four categories of these petitions. Number one is this, and it's verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. What do you need? You don't have much time left. You don't have much time left. So what do you need? You need God. You need God before you need to do anything, before you need to have any certain kind of behavior, or anything like that. You need God. Return, O oh Lord. I only have a little time. Let it be with you, O oh God. And so you cry out like Moses did in Exodus 33 and 34. You remember that? God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us We want you, O oh God, more than your gifts, more than your blessings, more than all these other things. We want you and you alone. Let that be your pursuit. Let that be your prayer. Number two is this. It's verse 14 and 15. Oh, satisfy us. Let me highlight the word. Satisfy us. Listen to the internal nature. Before external things, listen to the internal things. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I would add all our short days. Make us glad according to the days in which you've afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. So let me highlight the main thrust of that. Satisfy us, O oh God. Make us glad, oh God. You don't have much time on this earth. Don't go after the things that don't satisfy. You don't have much time on this earth. Don't go after all the things of the world that they say that they'll satisfy. They say that they bring happiness, but they don't. Their boast is only sorrow and toil and trouble. That's it. Instead, go after God. And in Him, what do you need internally? I'm satisfied in the living God. I'm glad and rejoicing in the living God. He is my joy. The greatest way you can bring Him glory is to be ultimately satisfied, ultimately glad in Him and Him alone. And this brings Him praise. Number three is this. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. That's verse 16. Let your work appear. Appear. Let me see it, God. Let me see your work. Let me see Your glory. You don't have many days left. You don't have much time left. So what I need, I need to see. Open my eyes, O God, that I might see Your works, Your glorious works, Your glory, and and let my children see it too. I don't have much time, O God. I don't have much time, O Lord. So let my children pick up on the greatness of Your glory so that generation after generation after generation worships You after I'm dead and gone. Go after it. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Deuteronomy 4.9, Diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. What do you do? I don't have much time. I don't have much time. What do you do? i got to get the gospel of Jesus. i got to get the gospel of God to that next generation. And I gotta leave it with them because my life's passing away like a vapor. Last one's number four. Number four is the last verse. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now the attention is turned to the work of our hands. Finally, to the work of our hands. We've already thought, you've already thought this. You ought to crowd to God for more of God. And you ought to crowd to God for satisfaction, the internal stuff, satisfaction and joy in God. And you're already saying, God, open my eyes and I might see you and my children might see you. And now we turn the corner and he says, what about your work? What about your work? The work of your hands. What about the work of your hands? A true servant of God who gets awakened to the reality of the brevity of life, realizing that his life is but a vapor. He will be be filled, filled with a longing. I want to work for God. I want to serve God. I want to do for God. I want to serve him. And it'll be there. And then you'll realize this. you look up and you'll see all the work that needs to be done. All the work that needs to be done. Lost people who need the gospel. Saved people who need to be built up. Hungry people who need food, poor people who need shelter, children in a womb being murdered, multitudes needing adoption, many people groups throughout the world have no access to the gospel, many more have no bibles, missionaries need to be supported. And you're looking up and you look at your own self and you say, "I don't have the ability, especially with this little sliver of time that I have." So what do I cry out to God? Oh God, give me favor. Let your beauty be upon me, O oh God, so that when I take my little bit of time and I, and I put myself forward to work and labor for you, it bears fruit. God, let the beauty of the Lord, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us, just like those guys who started the church at Antioch. You remember it? And the hand of God was with them, and many people turned to the Lord. So that's my prayer for everybody here. That the beauty of God be upon you, that the beauty of God be upon us, and we would labor for the king as if we were people who only had a few days to live, because we only have a few days to live.